Cultivating Place is made possible in part through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Esme Cabrera is an artist, a naturalist, and a born educator. Under the name La Mami Gami, Esme nurtures a plant-based art practice honoring the miracles of being that are the native plants around her. Exploring their spirit, medicine, history, and culture, mathematical, scientific, and sacred patterns with curiosity and deep observation is integral to her California native plant origami designs. Following along in her efforts to know these plants intimately enough to fold them provides us all with a portal to creatively reimagining our collective and growing ways forward. Ingenious, colorful, biodiverse, full of play, discovery, a community of sharing, plant and place centric. Esme, I can't imagine a more powerful blessing to usher in the new year than this conversation with you. Welcome to Cultivating Place. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Um, I'm really excited to be here and be in conversation with you. So I've introduced you in one way. And of course, every person, every gardener, every garden, every artistic practice even, Esme, is so much more prismatic than that. I would love to have you uh, introduce yourself just a little more personally to listeners and, and maybe by way of introduction, can you distill down for us the importance of plants in your life? philosophically, artistically, and pragmatically? I love this question. It's a big question. It is. Um, and so it might be a kind of a longish answer, but I'll, I'll do my best. I am from the Bay Area originally, San Mateo specifically, and I was born and raised there. I'm also Mexican. Um, I'm first-gen Mexican, so my mom immigrated here before I was born. I was born here. I also carry that with me, right, Our, my, my Mexican culture, mm-hmm. and um, it's very strong, as well as all the things that I carry from aunties, my mom, you know, my mom herself, but grandmas, aunties, and all their um, connections to the plant world which were there, you know, since childhood, right? Whether it's for teas, for um, making us feel better, for uh, medicine, of course, in the cooking, whether that's every day or for special holidays, plants, and actually (laughs) in the church, right? I was also raised Mm. Catholic. One of my favorite, favorite part of uh, the, the year was Palm Sunday. And I just remember that always being my favorite day um, because we would get to do crafts with the palm fronds. Right. And I loved that. Um, I loved the smell of incense. I loved um, anything having to do with like these tactile, um, sensorial uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. I always, I always really liked 
as I got older uh, and started, you know, exploring the Bay Area on my own, we were lucky, so lucky in the Bay Area that we have, we live in one of the most biodiverse regions um, in California, right? We have the coast, we have the coastal scrub, we have the inland chaparral, we have the bay, we have the marshes, we have redwood forest, we have oak woodlands. Um, and then to the East Bay, it starts getting a little drier, hotter. Um, and, uh, you know, we have the fog bank, fog tsunamis. I love to call it, right? Like the <laughs> fog fingers coming over the hills every single day, cleaning our air. Um, and just this whole interaction of, of the fog, the moisture um, and sun. Yeah. Right. And sunshine. Yeah. Um, so we're blessed. We're I'm super blessed uh, in the Bay Area to have just so much variety, so much uh, for the senses. So I'm actually not even quite sure how I started getting on this plant journey. I just know it it started happening. Um, and I think it's because I've always enjoyed also the spiritual side of things. Um, so plants always seem like a natural partner in any type of spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. um, and so as an artist, um, as an introspective person, just plants are just there to kind of facilitate, keep facilitating that, right? They allow us to look deeper, look beyond ourselves and, um, mm -hmm. and also uh, just maintain this link between our culture, our ancestry, the people that came before us and, and how we're going to now integrate what we're learning what we've learned from them and walk forward with that. So what I'm hearing as may is natural partner, facilitator, teacher, that that might be the role that they have played in all of these different facets of your life. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. In this that you've given us, you've, you've shared with us the, some of the basics of your your cultural heritage, mm -hmm. your your place based upbringing within that Mexican culture, but in San Mateo, mm -hmm. you then go on to say that you you begin exploring and you, I love that Palm Sunday reference, uh, not in its Catholicism, but in mm -hmm. its very earliest iteration, um, for anyone that has ever experienced the palm frond folding into the cross that is then mm -hmm. burned the following mm -hmm. year for mm -hmm. Ash Wednesday. Mm -hmm. You've mm -hmm. given us this beautiful early iteration of what you kind of do right now. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. that we're going to get into more of that. But I want to okay. un unpack a little bit more a, a young person who then goes off to explore her space in a way that allows her now as a grown woman to, to identify native plant habitats. Like who were mm. the people and places and plants who grew you on from your mothers and your aunties uh, and that rich cultural heritage into a person that's that aware of their environmental surroundings and, and the different native plant habitats and the difference between a native plant and a non-native plant as mm. may. I love that seg. Um, 
And it's making me think actually it was political. It mm. was political reasons. I started becoming politicized in high school uh, about social justice issues. And um, mostly having to do, of course, with immigration issues and how there was always seeming to be some something going on against our community. And so yeah. that politicizes me very quickly. And I feel that that naturally then led me into environmental justice issues. Yeah. And that probably came from me moving to San Francisco at a young age and connecting with community uh, there, right? And different social justice, environmental justice circles, conversations, mm -hmm. points of view. And from there, because I've always, one, when I have volunteered, it's always been in garden spaces, urban gardens, Interesting. Um, urban restoration efforts, right? Coastal cleanups, things like that. Things that are close to me, easy, easy for me to do. Yep. That is where I think I started then um, learning about, especially when it came to restoration, right? Learning about native plant restoration. I'm like, oh, what's native plant restoration? Oh, okay, it's these plants that are naturally suited to grow here, right? Um, yeah. And once you start touching these plants and smelling them, I think you start developing a personal relationship, right? That, yes. can, that can only grow from there um, if you want it to. Then I started making those connections between, you know, how we, one, are limited our, our uh, access to outdoor quality outdoor spaces in immigrant communities, um, oftentimes, or not how we explore them, but on our own terms, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because we do, we did have a lot of outdoor experiences. I'm grateful to my parents for doing that for us, but there, there's a spectrum in between as I'm pursuing learning about environmental justice issues, which then leads to learning about California indigenous people, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the, the trials and tribulations and frankly, genocide that happened against California indigenous peoples and the land that they tended. And of course, I didn't learn this all at once. This kind this right. came slowly, right? Through yep. time. And just continually making those connections between the places I've grown up in, the memories I have, and what's still in front of us. Yeah. Right. About how old were you when you made the move from San Mateo to San Francisco? Yeah, I was 19 okay. when I moved from San Mateo to San Francisco, a beautiful young age. Yes, <laughs> right? yes, yes. And just so ready to like learn and absorb. And that that moment, which is is not unusual, of of understanding that damage to our landscapes and our environments and our plants is damage to peoples and mm, and yes. vice versa right mm -hmm. and and as you say mm -hmm. it's complex so we i think often i mean I, I can't believe that most listeners don't have some similar moment of understanding the correlation between mm -hmm. the way we treat the land is the way we treat people and mm -hmm. if we treat mm -hmm. anybody in one way, we are treating all people and ourselves in that way mm. to some extent also. Absolutely. You you 
learn about the native plants, you clearly fall in love with them. And and as you and I both know, we both found it easy to fall in love with the California native plant diversity and Mm -hmm. it's just its beauty, its fragrance, its history. Um, and then, you know, the, the connection to the very, very, uh, diverse and very much alive and, um, striving indigenous communities across Mm -hmm. this, you know, the, the region that's known as California and Mm -hmm. the floristic province. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At what, like, Take us on your journey from there. Do you go on to college? Do you go to study art? Like, what do you do with this plant and artistic bent and the the sensuality of it that clearly resonates with you? Mm-hmm. What's your next step from there? Has mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It was a meandering path. <laughs> <laughs> And it definitely never had steady targets of just overarching values. Um, I knew I wanted to um, study people. Mm -hmm. And I had that sociology, anthropology type ethnobotanical curiosity. I'm like, I want to know how we interact with plants, right? Mm -hmm. I love science. I, I love art. So... I'm also going to um, get an artistic, an arts degree, I said at some point, right? Yeah. I'm not sure how the plants are going to fit into that, but I, I do art well. And so I'm going to get an art degree, but I, I got, well, uh, life happened to me and um, I got pregnant with my first child when I was on that track. And then I got nervous and I said, oh, I can't really do art now. So I'm going to do biology because I love you know, nature. Mm. But the science part was was hard for me. And I felt that that wasn't going to be a good track for me at that time either. And it wasn't until I saw that at San Francisco State had an environmental studies degree that offered what I would like to call a very liberal arts degree in Mm -hmm. um, environmental studies. I got the science, I got the um, sociology, social justice, environmental justice perspectives. I got uh, urban planning in there as some, you know, restoration science as well. I got a little bit of everything mm-hmm. and I could still, um, again, from that very politicized part of me contribute any kind of visual representations I can add to that. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Esme Cabrera is a naturalist, an artist, and a native plant advocate. Her art, under the name La Mami Gami, is an imaginative application of Japan's centuries-old folding art of origami, which roots back to the religious and ceremonial paper folding of the 6th and 7th centuries and the recreational origami that exploded in Japan in the 1600s with the greater availability of paper. Infused with the natural history of her specific birthplace of San Mateo, California, and her rich Mexican cultural history, Esme's take on origami is ingenious, colorful, biodiverse, playful, plant and place-centric. 
I think these are great traits and values even to carry us into 2024, don't you? We'll be right back after a quick break. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Caddo Shaw Foundation funds initiatives that empower women and help preserve the planet through the intersection of environmental advocacy, social justice, and creativity. Hey, it's Jennifer. So, when Esme reflects on her journey to the native plant-focused botanical art she is now undertaking for both beauty and biology, and she says, quote, All the things I value now as an adult were there in that first moment. I found myself placing a marker in my brain to return to this exact thought. Is there anything you do in your life that captures this same sentiment and truth for you? For me, it is being in my garden. Being there is art, it is beauty, it is community, it is spirit, it is engagement, it is ritual and constant discovery, it is play, it is activism, it is embodied hope and action. We've come so far in the past now eight full years of Cultivating Place and these conversations exploring the myriad, prismatic, and wonderful human impulse to garden. But there is always more reimagining to do, to grow the future we know is possible. A future that values all of these things. I will be folding these mindsets into my gardening practice in word and in deed in the coming seasons. Thank you for being here with me. Thank you all and these conversations for growing me. We're back now to our conversation with Esme Cabrera, naturalist, artist, and native plant advocate. Her work under the name La Mami Gami, in which she creates botanically accurate and detailed folded paper designs for California native plants, from the draping inflorescences of Garia elliptica, complete with crocheted pistils peeking out from their petals, to the sublime folds of a California poppy's iconic face and floral parts, to the complex and acrobatic mathematical folds of a penstemon or a lupin. Esme's work is wonderful. As we come back, Esme is sharing much more about how not having space to garden herself as a young adult, she nurtured her plant love by getting out into open spaces, into healthy habitats, and becoming intimate with them through close and careful observation. This tending practice then fed into her becoming a naturalist, which fed right back into her creativity and communal nature. So I'm 
always interested in plants, but I never have the space. I Mm. never have the space, but that's okay. That's what my journey was for a long time. So how did I keep nurturing that connection to plants? Getting out, hiking, getting very intimate with the spaces around me. So what I'd like to share here is I didn't necessarily grow anything for Mm. a long time. And I haven't, I didn't get that chance until barely two, three years ago now to really start investing um, in the garden around me in, in, in my house. But how I did nurture that connection, both for myself and for my family, was to get as intimate as I could with the open spaces that I knew still had fairly healthy native plant uh, communities in them. And that would be um, literally spaces that are 10 minute drive from my house. So Laurelwood Park, which is also um, uh, Shalshon Ohlone land um, in the San Mateo neighborhood. There was also Hidden Canyon and Belmont, um, which a friend introduced to me actually. And I would just go at all times of the year, um, you know, get really familiar with the plant stands, um, be coming back to certain plant stands, um, seeing, visiting, visiting them throughout the year. And as I'm learning, you know, about uh, medicinal properties, uh, edible plants, you know, one of them uh, that uh, I really follow is Yerba Santa. Yes. So just going back to the same stands of Yerba Santa throughout the year, visiting them in summer, visiting them in spring, visiting them in fall, in winter, um, and just seeing what it is they're doing throughout these different times of the year. That is what helps me maintain throughout all these years that I don't actually have a chance to grow them. Um, that connection, that familiarity, that getting to know you mm-hmm. and getting to know how it is that you thrive, right? What are yeah. these conditions that that you love? That intimacy and that deep knowledge that is only built over time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of the great joys of having a garden for any amount of time or a space that we return to over and over again mm-hmm. that grounds us in that same way, I think. Mm-hmm. And I love this description of how you modeled forward what your parents modeled to you about getting out, about seeing, about learning, about sharing Mm -hmm. your love and your knowledge with your kids and in your family setting. You keep going in this and eventually you do what as a, as sort of a career move and what gets you to the moment at which you start to create under the name La Mami Gami. I work in sustainability, and this is mostly in a small uh, local government, county government. That's, but that your, didn't that's last, your day job. That was my day job, but that yep. didn't last very long. At, at this point, my kids were small and the recession hit. There wasn't much work in sustainability at the time, so I had to, I had to pivot. And um, I had met a friend who introduced me to the homeschooling uh, community And so I became an informal educator for many, many years, kind of drawing on then all these things I'd been learning um, throughout the years. Uh, If if you recall, uh, I've been, you know, I'm an avid learner 
for many of those years that before I committed to a degree. And so I had been spending time learning all kinds of stuff. And I guess I had a lot to give. And I become an informal educator. When you say informal, do you just simply mean that you did not go get a specific certification? Exactly. I did not have a specific certification. But this community, this homeschooling community is so open to learning from, you know, your life experience itself, Mm -hmm. right? That I find a place that is very welcoming to the way I've been learning throughout my life and are very receptive also to what I have to offer. So that was really great. Um, So I become an educator for quite a bit. And throughout this, I'm I'm also still educating my children and they're in public school. So I'm doing a lot of volunteer work. I'm staying creative that way. The the iteration of Mami Gami came from me going back to origami during the pandemic. But this was something I kind of just always held on to, have held on to throughout the years. You say we get to the pandemic and you go back to origami. When did you first learn about or start to undertake origami at all? And maybe remind people uh, what origami is and it's a little bit about its history. Sure. So my first exposure to origami, which is the art of paper folding, happened in third grade. And it I very vividly remember this, this was taught to me from newly immigrated students whose English was still not uh, fluent. They were very much still learning the language. And so here we are in third grade, um, you know, making friendships. And one of the ways we did that is that they taught me um, some of these children's models um, of origami. And it has basically stuck with me since. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they were immigrants from from, from Japan. From Japan. See, yeah. uh, yes. That's such a beautiful sharing of learning and culture and fun and art and, and beauty and play, right? And All play. in one go. Yeah. All the things that I as an adult value now, they were right there in that moment, right? In in those moments of yeah. them sharing with me their um, culture, their what they've been learning in their short young lives, right? And here yeah. we are passing it on already yeah. um, to others. Uh, origami really sticks with me, and I just do it on and off. Um, you know, I mentioned that as an educator, and and I love the way that you also described what it, you know, this the homeschooling community, which really does value experiential learning. I don't discover until adulthood that I am good at math, which, you know, all my life, I thought I was terrible at it. But through origami, what I or through practices like origami, and within origami, I put in other handicrafts, I put in embroidery, Mm -hmm. I put in um, sewing, um, even, you know, drawing, right? Mm -hmm. All of those are mathematical expressions, but not necessarily looked at as such. And so, as an adult now, I see, I'm like, oh, wow, you really did do math really well from the very beginning. It was just in this form, right? very spatial awareness type. And how that translates then into my adulthood and this native plant world is, of course, again, 
the spiritual side, right, of, of nature and all these mathematical expressions that we're constantly seeing in plants and patterns and the way they express themselves, right? From number of petals to um, radial symmetry, to all the ways we describe them or read about them in botany books. We have to rely a lot on, on math and on these descriptions to be able to communicate more in detail, yeah. in deeper detail, what it is that we're seeing. I, I've been playing with origami on and off my whole life. And just, I encourage listeners to, you know, if they did origami as a child, you know, yeah, feel free to pick it up again. Um, it's it's evolved so much from maybe what you associate with it, uh, as the paper crane or, or a, a paper airplane even, right? It has a beautiful global community that is representative at all times of all ages. So from the, you know, the youngest folders to the oldest, yep. and then there are so many uh, ways of expressing yourself in origami from very rules-based, like, okay, just uh, very pure origami where we're just going to use very simple folds to, you know, create kind of this um, abstract representational, mm -hmm. you know, yep. um, sketch of, of, of whatever your subject is. Right into these very detailed, um, multi-step, you need a huge piece of paper to, um, and, and just fold thousands of folds, right. To get scales and claws and all kinds of wonderful things, um, into, uh, engineers, aerospace engineers who use origami concept, uh, concepts for the James Webb telescope that's, um, in orbit right now, right? Or that's in space right now. It's it's a beautiful world. And I'm sure people see it pop up every now and then, like in their Time or National Geographic magazine at the grocery rack. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Innovations in origami. <laughs> and that's how it's been for the decades that I've been alive. I just see it kind of come and go, come and go. And during the pandemic, as many people did, we found, you know, we went back to things or found new things. And for me, it was origami. And I've always been folding other people's models using YouTube. I'm a big YouTube baby when it comes to origami to, to learn new uh, folding uh, sequences or techniques. Yep. Yep. Which is often the way, right? Like you, you yeah. start, you start learning something by following the patterns, you know, whether it's knitting or gardening or yes. cooking, we we start with a recipe or a pattern or yes. uh, some instructions or, you know, building a telescope for that matter. Um, yes. We yeah. read the instructions, but then once you get comfortable enough, you can say, what if I alter that just a tiny bit this way or that way, or add a little more salt or a little more length to my telescope, what'll happen? that's when we all of a sudden see like sparks fly in our hearts, in our minds, right? Absolutely. And so I remember as I'm just kind of randomly folding, I, I have some Bay Nature magazines next to me. And I said, you know what? Why don't I try to fold a flower myself? Why don't I try and see what happens? And the very first plant I find in the Bay Nature magazine that I had it next to me at that point in time was a shooting star. Ooh. Um, and of course, you know, like, of course, right. <laughs> of course oh, you have to pick a complicated like, one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 right. 
know, and I think, look at this. <laughs> right. I think a lot of people uh, will know what we're talking about, but for those who don't, it's it's that beautiful spring flower, which used to be called dodecathion, but is now a primula. Yes. And it has that very pointed beaked um, stamens that come together into a, what looks like a little beak facing down with very recurved petals and it's quite small. Um, small. And (laughs) yeah, and super complex. (laughs) I failed. (laughs) You started. I started. I didn't quite, I mean, I didn't quite fail, but I got close enough that it was a little door opening for me. Like, okay, I can actually maybe design some of these. And, um, and speaking of like, you know, a complex, I was like, what can I fold next? Maybe a milkweed. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you start with a daisy? Why would you start with something simple? And then even from the beginning, were you, were you really leaning hard on just folding? Did you do any cutting or were you trying to hold tight to the folded form? Oh, yes. I'm very much sometimes a rule follower. And mm-hmm. so I definitely wanted to stick with the traditional origami technique, which is no cuts and no glue. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's just straight folding to get to your finished product. And um, that was the challenge. And I, and I've stuck to it for the most part, I might start breaking some of the rules um, this, this year. Um, but for the most part, I stuck to it for a couple of years. And I only share my work really on Instagram right now. It's, it's a wonderful place to, I guess, do kind of art journaling and a lot of people use it um, as such. So that's where my work has been going and being shared. My handle was origami Esme, but one of these nights, you know, I'm like, oh, I kind of, la mami gami. That makes sense. That, uh, you know, alludes to my Latina identity, my Mexican identity. Yes. <laughs> and also this, um, you know, this side of me that I was exploring at, right. at that point in time. And so you, right from the start there with that uh, shooting star, you also seem to have held tight to the rule of, I'm only going to do this for native plants. Yes. Why? Why was yes. that important, Esme? I have to backtrack a little bit on that because what I haven't shared that was a real turning point for me was being part of the UC, UCANR California Naturalist Program Yes, um, that I was able to take in 2018. So, and shout out to Grassroots Ecology in Palo Alto, because uh, that's who offered it. Um, a beautiful, beautiful course. I was introduced to this community of naturalists, which I had no idea at, up until that point that you could be a naturalist. I knew you could mm. be a botanist, but I didn't know you could be a naturalist. And uh, just a little bit about the California Naturalist Program. Um, it's offered through um, UC Extension at many different uh, organizations throughout California that then um, offer short courses for you to deep dive into your local bioregions, right? Yep. And um, for the Bay Area, well, that was that was a you know fun. I got to not only revisit and 
kind of um, bring all the connections I already had, but also learn so much more and be connected to that community of experts that um, then keep feeding um, all this learning uh, afterward. So that was a huge turning point for me because you get to pick kind of a niche, a specialization as your uh, capstone, right? As your capstone project. And of course, mine was plants. Um, I chose to talk about uh, Stachys bolata, the hedge nettle. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Esme Cabrera is a naturalist, an artist, and a native plant advocate. Her art, under the name La Mamigami, is an imaginative application of Japan's centuries-old paper-folding art of origami. Esme's art reminds us to look closely at the world folding and unfolding all around us with greater wonder. We'll be right back after a quick break. Hey, it's Jennifer again. One more sentence I want to pull out from this conversation. It's coming up, but it's so profound and so beautiful. I wanted to highlight it. Esme shares this, quote, There's something so spiritual in this simple act of folding. It's just simple motions that can bring about so much complexity from a humble piece of paper that the wind can take away. These are ephemeral items that are not meant to last. What I want to last is your impression of them and what they might inspire you to go then and look for. If I have done that in getting you to do this, then I have done my work in service, in service, end quote. That is exactly how I see the work and play and growth and community of Cultivating Place. Over 400 episodes now, 51 brand new conversations in 2023, and over 1.2 million listens. It is our impressions of and on one another, on the land, on the collective, on the present and the future that matters. I like to think of it from seed to shining seed. Happy New Year, gardeners. Let's reimagine and keep reimagining our way forward. We're back now to our conversation with Esme Cabrera, naturalist, origami artist, and native plant advocate, working, playing, learning, and sharing under the name La Mamigami. As we come back, Esme is sharing more about how in becoming and thinking of herself as a naturalist and educator, as well as an artist, deepened her belief in the power of native plants, places, and the original peoples who steward these 
into the present for us all. When I heard this term naturalist, I'm like, oh, that's somebody who likes to go outside, look at stuff, yeah. <laughs> and share. <laughs> Yeah, looking at learn, learn and look. Yeah, yeah. And if they go with other people, they like to hear what they're seeing too, right? Like, what are you noticing? Oh, you see the way that flower is only growing in wet areas and not dry areas, or something like that, right? Um, and just this sharing, right? Becoming part again of this community of sharing. Definitely a very liberating moment for me. Um, just, I love advocating for sustainability, environmental solutions, um, you know, ways we can be quote unquote greener and all of that. But California native plants, you know, that's that's who I want to throw my weight behind, right? Yeah. yeah. And so um, I start designing more, and and yes, it was the goals of like sticking to this no cuts, no glue right? Mm-hmm. For designing yep. and only California native plants. Yeah. I just want to design California native plants. Why? Because I selfishly really want to advocate for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing, you know, especially as I look through the progression of your work, looking at them so closely that you can then figure out how to fold them is this positive feedback loop of intimacy. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Being a naturalist, your approach can be from whatever avenue. I mean, it 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 is one of the most diverse accepting realms to be a part of, I suppose, because it really it comes from your heart like what you want to observe, how you want to act, what actions you want to take. Yes. When you're outside, when you're, when you want to inter interact, right. With, yeah. with these creatures that you love and study. Yeah. So you start on a, on a whim a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. but I also sort of see it as the universe, like finally getting your attention with that Bay nature picture and you being <laughs> like, maybe I can fold that. And then, <laughs> um, and then you just, you just light up and you start replicating all kinds of native flowers and leaves, uh, and even eventually, uh, we're we're coming on to two years that you've been documenting this journey on Instagram. You know, I think one of the things that keeps pulling at me in the work that you are doing is how it does incorporate so beautifully those additional elements of what is often held up as native plant education mm-hmm. um, of artistry, play, and ritual. Like these mm-hmm. three things get incorporated into your native plant educational outreach. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and somehow that feels so much more complete. And it kind of harkens back to the the first part of our discussion, Esme, where you said, I loved the biology, but it didn't, it was hard for me and I wasn't good at math. But mm-hmm. when you add in these other elements, then you see that you are good at math. It's just like a different learning mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a way now for me to 
do so, a little bit of that inner healing work too, mm-hmm. right? Where um, you, we're all hearing a lot about, and we always have, about healing that inner child, right? So for me, I, I'm such a person that's, I'm a person that's drawn to whimsy and magic and small things um, and just the miracle of their being, right? I'm like, what? How are you doing that? Right, right, right. The miracle <laughs> of their being. Yes. That I'm naturally drawn then now, now that I finally get to grow some close to me, now I get to really get into their little faces, right? And be like, wow, how are you? How are you starting out? How are you folding yourself like that? One of my favorites to watch is uh, Monkey Flower right? Yeah. And um, it's a little tubular self and how it's two top petals kind of fold over the, the bottom ones. And just watching that, um, you know, folding in nature is such an integral part of how life forms have had to evolve, right? It, it It's just part and parcel of how life is, right? You have to fold these so much information, so much into these small packages that then you know, begin to unfurl and their expressions of life. Right. Um, yes. Yes. So in that sense, again, going back to the spiritual, right. There's something so spiritual. I feel about this simple act of folding. It's, it's just simple motions that can bring about so much complexity and uh, from a humble piece of paper, right. Yeah. From just something so simple that the wind can take away. I mean, that's another thing I enjoy about this practice is that these are ephemeral items. Yes. Right. They're not meant to last. What I want to last is your impression of them and what they might inspire you then to go and look for. Right. If I can do that, then I've done my work. I don't need these flowers to last a very long time because flowers and, you know, have their season in mm-hmm. nature too. That is not um, the point of my work. The point of my work is like, Hey, look at this, right? <laughs> yeah. Look, really look, look at this. Yeah. Naturalist pointing at things. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Look over here. <laughs> at this point, how many different genera or species have you folded and come up with kind of patterns for as many? I would say maybe I'm around 20. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I do want to take a moment right now to actually share that I am by no means an expert in origami. And I think that actually is, is a really great thing because that means that, again, this is an open medium to so many and like you've said too, that just with practice, with some dedication, you can learn so much, right? Yeah. Uh, th- that door is open for everybody. And there's many things I won't fold because they take too much time. <laughs> I'm lazy. God, I'm not sure what they are because I have seen you fold, like watching you figure out how to do the the spirals and then the opening of the sacred datura blossom is like oh, a true joy. <laughs> uh, and then 
in this season, you know, this will be the first episode of 2024 for Cultivating Place. And uh, it, it kicks off a theme of reimagining uh, our way forward. And the idea of your folding of a sort of organic shape that is either a sacred goddess mm-hmm. or Our Lady of Guadalupe mm-hmm. with uh, a beautiful hummingbird. Like this is, a, I mean, I know those aren't plants, but they are related to mm. this ecosystem of plant mm. care and love across time and space. And I, mm. I love that it's using ancient cultures layered on each Mm. other Mm. and as well as ancient art forms layered Mm. on each other Mm. and coming up with this slightly new reimagining of Mm. of how they can be in service to Mm. us and us to the world. In service, in service. Absolutely. Right. That, I mean, that has been one of the values that I've carried throughout my life. How can I be of service? Right. Um, I think a lot of us uh, have that. And I want to bring you back now to San Mateo and San Mateo Creek specifically that runs through it. I once organized a walk there for uh, through Latino Outdoors, which is an organization I volunteer for. Through Latino Outdoors, I organized an urban walk through the um, north central neighborhood of San Mateo through which uh, San Mateo Creek runs. It starts in um, the Crystal Springs area, that Santa Cruz uh, ridge there, the ridge line. And it goes down um, through the Crystal Springs Reservoir, through um, Hillsborough, through um, downtown San Mateo, and out into the bay. Okay. But this place was also where um, Ohlone people lived for thousands of years before the arrival of the Mexican Spaniards and Europeans, right? Um, At the same time, you know, I can also see how this place, it it was uh, what I like to say in Spanish, un lugar de encuentro, right? It was a place you had to pass through. So there was always interactions, I, I imagine, between different people, right? And San Mateo Creek is, is so special to me because it, flows through one of the most diverse areas in San Mateo where so many people come to start their their journey here in 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 California mm-hmm. right um, and I'm not talking about just Latinos I'm talking about Polynesians I'm talking about black folks I'm talking about Filipino folks um, uh, you know Asian folks from the Asian diaspora there's so many immigrant communities within uh, the San Mateo Creek vicinity yeah. that, you know, um, a place where also you can still see the shells from the indigenous presence, right? In the soil. If you're walking down the street and there's an oak yeah. tree, dig around in the soil, you'll find shells. Yeah. Right, because there's there's shell mounts, there's shell shell remnants still all over that area, and so for me, you know, that present that that tells me, wow, they're still here, right? Like their yes. presence is still very much with us, and I, you know, um, and of course their descendants are as well. Um, 
And here we are now too, right? Descendants of not so, you know, pretty histories, you know, but we're here now. So how can we open our eyes, right? To the beauty of this place and respect and respect what pertains to this place so that we can then steward and act accordingly to in all our own best interest. Yeah. Right? And native plants, of course, figure in that 100%. 100%. Uh, Yeah. That is such a beautiful and beautifully articulated hope for the impact of your work and what I consider to be the greatest definition um, of gardening is, mm. is all of that included in what we do in our own back gardens, but also, or front gardens, but also in our watersheds, in our communities, mm-hmm. with, with the histories, with the peoples, with, uh, with the, the hopes for the future held in every action we take along mm-hmm. those lines. And, you know, that is a lofty and weighty hope and consideration and and i think one of the things you bring to this very grave necessary urgent hope is the importance of leveraging ritual spiritual physical play and whimsy as mm. may mhm mhm yeah yeah it all connects us back to the child in us, right? Yeah. Um, but also as an adult, it ties together so many of our experiences, right? Like I I'm, I have to be honest, I'm struggling a little bit, right? With with how to it once you get to a certain age, it's 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 hard to communicate in smaller chunks this lifetime that you're carrying with you right um but when you practice when you when you have a practice um with your hands um that you are carrying forward you are able to infuse that practice with all of that and again i thank you because you know, I, I didn't realize that this work would resonate with so many people <laughs> as it yeah. has. Yeah. And I'm really grateful for that. Sometimes it still kind of baffles me, but um, but it just reaffirms that no, I am doing something good um and something um that allows other people to again approach it from their own unique perspective, right? Yeah. I don't want to tell you what to see. Um, I want you to just see. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you don't, 
I mean, I, I never take any of your work as telling me what to see or as, you know, a naturalist pointing, as you will, <laughs> you know, as it were, but rather a reminder of the joy of what it is to see. Mm. Mm-hmm. And how, how rich, how rich that is. Okay. So now I am just so grateful. I'm so grateful for your work and for your time. I'd love to end with a question that's very plant-based. Okay. If you had five, five additional California native plants you want to fold in the coming months, what are they? Five additional plants I want to fold in the coming months. Um, I always want to finish my lupin. Yeah. <laughs> I have lupins. Uh, I still want to finish. Yeah. Um, I still want to do a, a, a milkweed justice. <laughs> I have been looking at seed pods lately right oh, and I'm yes. always oh. um seed skeletons my friend Kat Chang taught me that term seed skeletons right and how this is the time of year um to see those and and to be um uh yeah to just to, to take those in and 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 see all the wonderful ways that um these seed skeletons are preserved um, so I've been looking at that and, and that was one of my latest offerings was the Matilla poppy seed pod, uh, which yes. I find endlessly fascinating. I love that, that, yeah. that seed skeleton. Um, um, what else? I, I'll, I'll tell you what I do want to do in this year Yep, with the origami. And that is, um, being a little bit more intentional now with uh, the paper aspect of it, because okay. I kind of have just been using, you know, what I've got. Um, and, but th- there's, there's just, uh, I would love to um, integrate some more actual native plant material into the actual paper. Um, uh, like give us an example of that. So <laughs> I have a really great example of that. I made a, a paper making friend. I met a friend who is a paper maker artist um, here in Sacramento recently. Um, her name is Steph Rue, and she is a, a carrier of the Hanji uh, paper making Korean paper making tradition. But she also explores other materials. And the first day I met her, we were having a conversation about native plants, and she mentioned milkweed, and I said, oh, I know where you can get milkweed fast if, if, if that's, you know, what you're looking for. And I connected her right away with uh, my friend Julia Michaels at Hedgerow Farms, where they grow seed for restoration projects. And who, it just so happened, were going to um, cut down some of their milkweed for the seed harvesting um, in a week. And so my friend Steph made that connection, went and filled her car uh, her tr- trunk full of car with um, milkweed uh, uh, stems, and uh, about a you know couple few weeks later, she sends me an email that they were going to start processing. She was going to start processing it in her backyard. Um, so I got a chance to be part of this paper making process with her, my first time, 
um, it just gave me, and I, I'd never done that before. And it just gave me um, so much perspective into the the fact that the paper making itself is is such a process um, that is to be admired. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully learned from at, at this point in time. So we'll we'll see what happens. That is beautiful. And I look forward to your many reimaginings in the coming year of both plants and places, paper and people. Thank you so much for being a guest with me today, Esme. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Esme Cabrera is an artist, a naturalist, and an educator. Under the name La Mami Gami, you can find her and her many hours of discovery, joy, and playful botanical folded designs for California native plants over on Instagram. Join us again next week when we continue our 2024 theme of reimagining how we grow our way forward. We're in conversation with another artist, Carly Glavinsky, whose work with the Surf Point Artist in Residence program on the coast of Maine has fantastically reimagined the writer, poet, and gardener May Sarton's home of Wild Knoll into an unexpected and exuberant garden join us. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible in part by listeners just like you through the support button at the top right-hand corner of every page at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Cultivating Place is also made possible through the generosity of the Caddo Shaw Foundation. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, tech and web support from Angel Haracha, weekly show transcripts by Doulis Transcription, and communications associates Deanna Newpert and Matt Valiga. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Tell your public or community radio station to find us there. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. Happy New Year, I'm Jennifer Jewell.